0: We don't do these standardized retailer reports. Right now we've built a backend dashboard. So a brand can go into the dashboard anytime and see how they're doing. Like from city to city, from state to state, what's the return on every promo dollar that they've spent They can look at velocity. They can actually talk to the consumer through the backend dashboard. We're building that out for retailers as well and for brokers and distributors. So they can provide more value to their customers, which are, as you know, brands, right? So they'll be able to go and do a whole like, you know, overview for their brand and really help them understand like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be like focused on getting our product into you know, let's just say store A.
1: This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. If you like our show, please share it with your network and leave us a rating or review. You can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Karin Frame, CEO and founder of Makina, about shopper behavior, the future of retail, and using technology to enhance in-store experiences and incentivize better food choices.
0: Hi, I'm Karin Frame. I'm the CEO and founder of Makina. We are a data insights company for brands in the natural products industry. So, this is my third startup, second in the natural products space. You know, I grew up in central Illinois on a lake across the street from a cornfield that was sprayed with pesticides every year. And, oh, wow. Yeah, everyone in my family got sick, and 98% of consumers agree that what you put in and on your body really obviously affects your health and what the planet looks like. So anyway, that's that's me.
1: Nice. Well, thanks again for taking some time out of your busy schedule to hop on the show and share a bit more about what you do and how you do it. Uh, I'm excited to dig in. So as I was doing a little bit of research for the show, I noticed that you started out in law. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I just kind of assumed you'd always been an entrepreneur. So I'm curious, where did your passion for law initially come from and what kind of law did you practice?
0: So that's a really good question. I decided I wanted to be a lawyer in second grade so that I could feed all the starving children in Africa. So do not ask me really truly. I know you just asked me where that comes from, but my dad was a science professor at the University of Illinois, and we had a lot of National Geographic magazines at home. So I saw these starving children, and I'm like, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to be a lawyer. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't even know any lawyers at the time, so... There you go. And I just had it stuck in my head that I was going to do good.
1: Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, of all the ways to do good, for some reason, your child brain was just like, I'm going to be a lawyer. That's how I'm going to make all my impact in the world.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: But you actually went through with it. I mean, you got your degree and you practiced law for a while. So, what kind of law were you practicing? Were you out there in Africa, like fighting for endangered animals or something? Or were you just practicing business law or something else?
0: Well, I haven't been able to go to Africa yet. I've seen Morocco oh, from. Gibraltar. Let's get that on the to-do list. Yeah, it is totally on my to-do list, and my husband and I actually were going to do our honeymoon in Africa, and then you know lots of other stuff came up, so we didn't go. But yeah, you know, I've been a lawyer for a really long time. I'm still licensed to practice law in Illinois, Washington State, and Colorado. And I started off, well, I clerked for a judge, but then I was a prosecutor.
1: So oh, wow. Okay. Yeah,
0: I worked my way into being the head of a domestic violence unit. So I felt like I was doing really a lot of good by, you nice. know, okay. Putting some domestic violence protocols in place, trying to get some people that were not good people, the help that they needed. Or put them in jail as, you know, as appropriate, right? We had a lot of, you know, women, I hate to say it, mostly women victims. We did have some male victims as well, but mostly women victims who would get on the stand and recant. And then they would just go back into the cycle of, you know, what they had just been in. So, you know, I felt like I was making a difference. But then my former husband, who had been an organic farmer, by the way, that's part of my story as well. And I decided that it was time to move from central Illinois, and we decided to move to Boulder, Colorado. So I got very involved with the natural products industry when I moved out here, but continued to practice law and started my first two companies. We can talk about that later, but one of them was in the natural products industry. When we basically shut down those two companies, I ended up becoming an in-house attorney and I worked in technology. So I was the lead attorney or the general counsel for a bunch of technology companies. So I really understand, obviously, technology, software, I'm not afraid to leap into AI and, you know, augmented reality and all the cool things that you can do with technology these days. But I still had this like, whole, like, I want to make the world a better place. So how do you do that? Right? My significant interest in and food, obviously, based and what you put in and on your body based on my childhood experience. My ex-husband was an organic farmer, so I learned a lot about the industry. I was a vegan for 12 years, a very strict vegan for 12 years. And, you know, what do you do with all that? Like, Cool life experiences. Well, you become a founder again, (laughs) you start a company like Makita. So, anyway, there you go.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask how you shifted from law into natural products. I mean, maybe part of that was moving to Boulder, like you said, but some of your background also about knowing how important it is what you put in and on your body, like to the health of yourself and the environment. So, all those things kind of explain it. But you also mentioned that. A couple of times, I think that this is your third startup, I believe, in the natural products industry. So what were some of those other startups before Makina?
0: So one of them you could think of, it was called Interactive Properties, is like the prequel to Zillow.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: So yeah, I have my real estate broker's license. I still do. I used to teach real estate law for brokers in the state of Colorado.
1: <laughs> what don't you do?
0: <laughs> I don't have an MD. Oh,
1: Okay, well we can rule one thing out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not a doctor, right? I guess I'm a doctor of jurisprudence, that's what a JD is, but I am not a doctor. And I'm not a food scientist either.
1: Mm, okay.
0: So I find
1: Well, <laughs> we'll put those on the to-do list then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get those next.
0: Exactly. So yeah, so one of the companies was called the Interactive Properties. It was an interactive touchscreen kiosk system that we helped people that were looking for rentals or homes find for sale by owner properties or properties that were listed by real estate brokers. And, you know, we had a working prototype. I went and pitched it to Nortel up in Toronto and Nortel agreed to phase one and phase two of, you know, our project, gave us a little bit of funding. And then our other company, Natural Interactions, which was also an interactive touchscreen kiosk system, but focused on the natural products industry, took off. And as a founder, I think a lot of the people that are maybe listening to us, you know, discuss, you know, like this. It's hard to be a really great founder of two companies at the same time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, or at least if you're trying to be CEO of both at the same time, I mean, I suppose you could be a founder and and hire a CEO maybe, but yeah, Yeah. um, running two businesses at the same time is definitely difficult. Yeah.
0: Very difficult. I mean, Jack Dorsey can do it and Elon Musk and, you know, a few people that are very (laughs) well-to-do that can have a lot of help, but it's, you know, it's a tough thing. So I had to make a very difficult choice. and. You know, I chose natural products because of my background, because of my love for the industry. I really do want people to buy better, you know, with their wallet, like put your money where your mouth is, like truly, right? And so we did this pitch. It was called Natural Interactions. We did this pitch to the founders of Wild Oats at the time, Libby Libby Cook and Mike Gilliand, And Mike loved what we were doing. Absolutely loved it. He's like, we're in. Oh,
1: cool. So we
0: signed a contract to go take all of our touchscreen kiosks into their stores nationwide and develop them, put 10 systems in eight stores. And it just like really took off. You know, there were early concerns about data privacy. There were some consumers that didn't really want their information known, which was kind of interesting because, you know, that was in the 90s. Now we're in, you know, 2022. So that was a concern way back when. But they loved the, so it was video, it was audio, it had a telephone connected to it, it had two printers. You could look up, you know, what's the homeopathic remedy for a headache? On the kiosk, you could put in your Wild Shopper card and get like a prize, and then take it to the customer service desk and get full size sample oh, of something.
1: Wow! Yeah, nice. it was like gamifying, but it was also like sort of replacing some of the need for an employee. Like not that they got rid of employees, I'm sure, but some of the questions a natural product shopper might ask an employee, like hey, what do I get for this problem or where do I find this product? That Your kiosks could answer some of those questions.
0: Exactly. We had a map of the entire store where you could find the products on the shelf throughout the entire store. You could actually put into the system what you wanted to make recipe-wise for an entire week and it would spit you out a shopping list of every single product that you needed to buy for those different recipes you were making for the week. We had a kind of a roller printer and then we had a sheet printer. (laughs) So the roller printer actually had coupons on it, on top of it, but it also had that aisle by aisle shopping list. So you just could go through the store, pick stuff off the shelf, super convenient. And people loved it. We were on, you know, on the highway in Denver, we had like, you know, visit, Wild Oats for the Wild Oats kiosk experience and I still have photos <laughs> nice. of it. You know, my former husband and I were co-founders of that company and we were in the store next to the kiosk getting people signed up. You know, it was really fun. They had balloons. I mean, <laughs> it was just a big
1: deal. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was super fun. So I'm kind of an early and it's probably because of my dad, right? Being a science professor, like an early innovator in technology and the natural products industry. So there you go.
1: Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So so from there you pivoted into Makina. So where did that pivot come from? Were you just seeing that there was so much of a need or a desire for technology and natural and you know, it looked like blue sky territory or, or, you know, how did this idea come about?
0: Oh, man. OK, so long story short, we're raising five point eight million dollars, you know, to get systems in all their stores. And we were talking with Whole Foods and GNC and Bone. Bonies and Kroger flew out to meet with us and Safeway and I mean it was pretty for the psyched. kiosks right yeah we were really early dang yeah. yeah really early exhibitors at Expo West way back when so and we had this our big kiosk we brought our big kiosk out to Expo West it was a little crazy so what happened is of course you know we got not of course we got scammed by this investor in California he scammed forty one other companies. And so basically, I had to go back to Libby and Mike and say, hey, can we restructure our deal? You know, they had Libby had this one week window. She could like terminate our relationship. And she did because we didn't have the money to roll out the rest of the kiosk. So anyway, we shut everything down. And I was asked, I sat on a steering committee for business for social responsibility, you know, like really early on. It's kind of like the precursor to B-Lab and, you know, becoming a B-certified corporation. So-
1: You basically started all the movements.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just again, early innovator raised with a dad that, you know, had me, well, I asked a lot of questions and he's like, hey, let's look for solutions this way or that way or whatever way. So I was sitting on this steering committee and there was a a lawyer with a big law firm that was on the committee with me and she's like, hey, I have a client, they need their first in-house counsel, you have technology background, you have a great business background. I got my, my undergrad was in accounting and business from Indiana University. So I had a really solid business base even before I became a lawyer and I worked for a year before I went to law school. So. Right now, a year seems like nothing, but I did have a little bit of experience before I went to law school. So she's like, hey, I have this client, you know, do you want to be their first in-house counsel? They went public and I'm like, sure. (laughs) So I kind of I went in, I did this whole big career path. You know, you asked me a little bit earlier about being a lawyer and what I did. But I worked my way up to being a general counsel for a very large company that got bought by ABB Ventex. And I started questioning, like, you know, okay, that's great that I could provide a lot of value to this company as a lawyer, but like, I'm not super excited about helping them figure out like what widget they're missing in their big, big equipment. Like, not exciting. I'm not making the world. uh, Better place. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I was asked around that time to teach at the University of Colorado. And so I started teaching in the School of (laughs) Business. I taught an entrepreneurship class. And during that that. process, I was listening to one of my colleagues talk about exchanging textbooks with a mobile device. And I'm like, I'm going to take natural interactions. I'm going to bring it into the 21st century. Everybody's got a handheld kiosk. And I had that aha moment, just so you know, in 2011. So long before all these other platforms were developed, like, you know, and I I won't go into all of it, but we were early in this. And I took a little bit of time to do,
1: oh, gosh, obviously
0: research. You know, I wrote an executive summary. I wrote a full business plan which is unheard of now (laughs) with founders. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got into an accelerator. It was called Telluride Venture Accelerator. Oh, nice. Focused on-
1: Yeah, cool.
0: Have you heard of them?
1: I haven't, but I love the idea of accelerators. I've been through a few of them myself and I always find them super valuable. Yeah,
0: yeah. This one was focused on natural products, the environment, climate, water, air, Obviously, they were also focused on education. And I can't remember the other vertical, like four verticals. And McKenna fit squarely within you know, what they were focused on as an accelerator. Yeah. And then we were off to the races.
1: Oh, well, sweet. Okay. Well, I mean, so you came up with the idea for McKenna in 2011, but what year was that accelerator? Was that like 2011, 2012? Or did this idea just sit on the shelf for a little while first?
0: Yeah, it was 2014.
1: Okay. Yeah, so you had plenty of time to think about it. You know, I mean, like most entrepreneurs (laughs) probably have like 15 business ideas in their mind at any one time. So, you know, you have to wait for the right opportunity for each of those. Like sometimes maybe your idea is 20 years too early for the market and you can either wait it out or or slog it out in the market and wait for the market to catch up. But yeah, so the fact that you had the idea before a lot of these apps came out, is pretty impressive. And then sitting on it and waiting for the right opportunity makes it, a lot it of was sense.
0: kind of interesting. We applied to Techstars early on. I didn't have a tech co-founder. And I don't think that Techstars knew that I had a coding background. I learned how to code when I was four. But I was not the tech founder, right? Like I was the business person. And I sat down with somebody very high up at Texters and this person said to me, the industry is not big enough. This is niche. This can't scale. And so that's why I was rejected early on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: They're probably kicking themselves now, right?
0: I don't know. Uh I mean, we recommended to, you know, because we're sort of media focused too, like we reach literally... Oodles and oodles of consumers, and we're creating a big community around it on the consumer side. We've been asked to apply for three or four Techstars programs since then, like specifically from the Techstars teams. We actually may apply still. You know, we're far down the road, but you you can always learn and grow. And I think that's one of the things that I learned as a kid from my dad is that there's always opportunity. Don't ever truly say no to something. For sure. Because you could learn something from it.
1: Yeah. You can always improve, you know, that's, that's one thing I've learned as a designer is you can be going through your entire process, like completely take your time, do all the research and then launch and, you know, the market's going to change or the consumer habits are going to change or your product will need to change or your positioning needs to be tweaked or whatever. You know, you can always just be refining and refining and refining forever At some point, obviously, you need to hit pause and just sell the crap out of it. But there's always going to be more room to make the product better, the package better, the promotion better, yourself better, whatever. So I'm totally in the growth mindset and constant evolution camp. You know, we should always be learning and we should always be questioning whether or not we can do something better. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that mindset.
0: Yeah.
1: Cool. Okay. So let's dive into the nitty gritty of the app. So tell us how it works. Who's it for? what kind of brands do you feature? And do you have any good case studies you can share that can kind of make the whole experience real for me and our listeners?
0: Yeah. So really, as I said at the very beginning, it's a data insights platform for brands and others in the space and even probably outside of the space. So natural products brands, large manufacturers. We've been asked, we've been approached by Unilever. We're not really doing any outbound marketing at this point, not any formal outbound marketing, but Unilever's come to us, Nestlé's come to us, P&G, General Mills. So, and Canagra, you know, we have and Kellogg. We have some brands from Kellogg on the platform. We have some brands from Canagra. But so brands, retailers, Because we are retail agnostic and the data that we've collected directly from the consumer is really insightful to retailers that may want to know what's happening at the store down the street. What encourages those shoppers to come back and buy more or buy the same, right, Take them away from the other store, have them come back to your store. So retailers are super interested in the data that we've collected. Brokers, Uh, distributors, because we have more than just, you know, receipt data. We have real like consumers taking photos of the display in the store on the shelf, videos of them with the products, talking about the products Feedback about the products. Uh, we have surveys and polls. I mean, there's just a lot of data that we're collecting, including demographics about the consumer. So when you get this data from like a data warehouse, you know some of our friends in the industry, and and we have lots of friends in the industry. It's category level data that you're getting, maybe not direct data about your competition, but you definitely don't get the granularity of the consumer data as they go from store to store to store. That is what is super unique about Makina. I'm getting off point now. So no, anyway, yeah, large, manu- yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, large manufacturers, brokers, distributors, agencies, they all want to do better with their existing customer base, private equity groups, VC groups. They all want the data. So uh, data aggregators. So we have a lot of, we've collected, oh gosh, we've given away, this is probably a better way to say it. We've given away over a hundred million points on our system to consumers. So we have a very active consumer base and we're only building on that with all of the downloads that we have. But really, again, to go back to your original point, Why was it created? It was created to help these brands, mostly brands, in the natural products space, really understand the consumer, who they are, (laughs) where they're shopping, what's in their basket, and do they love your product or not? Should you continue to manufacture it? Makina helps you answer those questions. Nice. So I think I answered your question.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, now I have follow-up questions, though. (laughs) So. Okay. So let's say I'm a company that wants some consumer data. Do I just come and buy a report from you or do I set up an account and then I kind of negotiate a specific scope of research that I want And you send me certain data points. Let's just say, for example, I'm a retailer and I come to you and I say, I want to know what's happening in my specific region or my zip code around this category or something like that. Or would you just have standard retailer reports or something to share?
0: Yeah. So we don't do these standardized retailer reports. Right now we've built a backend dashboard. So a brand can go into the dashboard anytime and see how they're doing, like from city to city, from state to state. What's the return on every promo dollar that they've spent? They can look at velocity. They can actually talk to the consumer through the backend dashboard. We're building that out for retailers as well and for brokers and distributors. So they can provide more value to their customers, which are, as you know, brands, right? So they'll be able to go and do a whole like, you know, overview for their brand, And really help them understand like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be like focused on getting our product into, you know, let's just say store A, right? You will do better in Texas in store B, and we should focus your efforts there. So those are the kinds of insights that the data that we've already collected through Makina will provide a broker, a distributor, or a brand, quite frankly, or a retailer, as I said. So yes, and what we're adding to- And do you
1: help interpret those insights?
0: Yeah. So the insights, you can look at the dashboard and those insights are right there, right? You don't have to really think about it. It's like kind of ready-made. Yeah. What we're going to be adding to as, so we're, you know, we're raising more money, we're scaling, we're going to be adding some brand-alike people, we call it somebody need to work directly with the brand and help them, you know, the brand has more questions. We'll help you figure out hopefully, you know, some sort of an answer to those questions for you that feels right, but we're going to be adding to our product roadmap for sure and incorporating more AI and lots of different things into our technology.
1: Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I know that, some people are just great at looking at raw data and know exactly what to do with it. But for some of your customers, I imagine they would like a little handholding or guidance or whatever. So you know they might be looking at the data and wondering how to make it actionable or uh, how to put it into their strategies. So it's cool that you're going to continue adding you know different levels of service and features. From the shopper side, though, what's that experience like? Because I imagine that consumers are listening to this, or heck, even <laughs> even like the <laughs> CPG. Brand leaders that are listening to this are also consumers, right? So maybe they want to sign up for the app too. So from the shopper side, they sign up and they get points and discounts and stuff, right? How does this work?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the app is free to the consumer. It's available on the App Store and Google Play. It actually used to be available on Kindle, but you know we have totally discontinued that. And they can discover, find, and earn cash and rewards on you know, organic, non-GMO, fair trade, you know, it doesn't matter. Be certified or be certified corporation or self types of brands that have products that either meet your lifestyle preferences or dietary needs, obviously. So then you, we help you figure out where to buy it. So you just buy it, either get it sent to you. You can order on Amazon or the right market, go to your brand's own website or go to a store You get it on your kitchen table, you scan that barcode, take a snapshot of the receipt, submit it through the app. We match it with our technology on the back end. And then when you get to 20 bucks, you can cash out through PayPal or Venmo. It's really that easy. And then you accumulate points and we tell brands, we've built your loyalty platform so you don't have to, but the brand can decide what kind of You know, once the consumer earns a certain number of points and they can, they can earn it through surveys and polls and, you know, taking photos of the display on the store, as I mentioned, there's lots of different ways for them to earn it. They can convert it to cash again, up to the brand as to what that is. It can be free product or it can be swag. You know, honestly, it could be a trip if a brand wanted to like give a trip to a loyal shopper, right. Or a year's supply of I am loving you dog food. We have one shopper who has bought,
1: Hey, I
0: can't even tell yeah, you how many you. bags of really expensive dog food and has submitted her receipt almost every single time through the Makina app. I mean, she is one loyal shopper <laughs> with this particular brand. And by the way, the brands can talk to the consumers through the back end. So it's a win-win for the consumer and for the brand. Like for example, this consumer is more than happy to be on that brand's Instagram, be a testimonial for them on their website, talk about them in press, you know, lots of different, because now you know who that consumer is. And this one particular person, you know, you know, all of her demographics, it's a she, um, you know, where she's located, how many people in her family, you know, her income, you know, like what her propensities are, you get snapshots of the entire receipt that she snaps, buys it at Safeway, Whole Foods, Thrive Market, Amazon, Chewy, like from store to store to store. It's super interesting what kind of insights you can glean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you can see like the overall data of all the purchases and feedback and such, but then you can also go really granular and see each individual person's shopping habits. And I think that's where you're unique, right? Is know, like for example, companies like Spins will give you the high level data of a category, like who are the top brands and, you know, how fast are they turning and if the category is up or down in general, but they don't have that granular bit about the customer and like how they break up their shopping from store to store and which brands they go really deep with and loyal to and who they are loyal to over time, et cetera. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah,
0: exactly. So we, you know, we've built it for the brand. You know, going back to your question about the consumer, (laughs) it takes the sticker shock out of buying better. So we're trying to level the playing field for the consumer, and it's an easy kind of message to the consumer. So when a consumer hears about Makina, it's really, I mean, it's almost a no brainer for them to download Makina because all you have to hear is buy better, get healthy, or be smarter with your wallet save the planet. You know, there's lots of different ways that we message, but that, you know, that consumer really loves voting with their wallet. And again, we have a lot of, you know, most of our shoppers are women between the ages of 25 and mid fifties, I would say good majority of them, all families, And they really want to be able to feed their children better products, you know, organic versus non-organic. So every week we have 20 new offers for a shopper and they're just generic. So the shopper can, you know, buy these products anywhere. Again, all they have to do is put in their bag with the individual offers. We call them Makina offers. They still have to snap their receipt and submit it to us because we We need to see that they actually bought the product, but a lot of times, like on Apple, they're not going to have like a barcode, right? So, but we can always match and that's great because our technology allows us to do that. So our shoppers have said things like, we love the fact that you're just focused on these better products. You know, we would like to buy kind bars. Versus Snickers bars. We just, you know, they, we just help level that playing field between Wonder Bread and Ezekiel, right? Or Food for Life.
1: Yeah. So it's not only discovery, like maybe finding brands you didn't know about, but also reducing the sticker shock so they can buy better products, feel good about it, and save a little money in the back end, which is pretty cool. Yep. Awesome.
0: Yep. Exactly.
1: because you have such an intimate relationship with the consumers in your app, like you've probably learned a lot about them, right? So do you have any data off the top of your head you can share with us about the, what the conscious consumer is up to these days through COVID, etc.?
0: So super interesting. As you know, this is a big industry and it continues to grow faster than traditional. I want to say post-COVID, but we're still in COVID. Consumers are much more aware of, you know, the, the fact that they really need to like be better about their, their eating habits, right? There's a huge obesity problem in the U S and beyond, but you know, a lot of people who have diabetes and food sensitivities and things like that realize that again, what you put in and on your body really matters. So they're looking for other ways to again, save, which is great. What we've learned is that even though we had COVID And we had this big logistics issue around, you know, transportation and keeping the shelves in the store stocked and all of that. Almost all of the shoppers that we recently surveyed a month ago, by the way, we took a sampling of the shoppers that are using our platform. They said really only 10% of those people are shopping online. So it's really interesting that people still.
1: Do you mean like exclusively shopping online or?
0: No, there's a little bit of overlap with some of them. They, you know, some of the shoppers said like 17% of them, there was like this crossover of like 17% online versus like going to a store and buying it. But like for the most part, people are still going into stores. I mean, I even see that with myself. I mean, we love Coach's Oats we love certain things that are one just easier to buy online. We know that we can always get it online versus going into a store, but you know, I like going into a store because I want to see the vegetables and fruit that I'm buying, right? I want to I want to make sure that that the carton of blueberries, the organic blueberries that I buy, There aren't smushed, you know. So, I think I think a lot of the consumers that are using our app are kind of coming back with us with some of those comments, which is kind of cool. And again, they they love the fact that we are truly incentivizing them to buy better. So it's this discovery piece, you know. There's a crossover. I mean, there are a lot of people that buy particular brands. And the fact that those brands are on our platform, we have, I don't know, anywhere at any one time, because we have instant offers to up to about 130 brands on our platform. And that crossover of those consumers that get these instant offers and like to do that will maybe pop up with something else. And they'll discover an emerging brand that they had never even heard of before. And they'll buy it. And then again, You know, you see that their basket, you know, the receipt is filled with all sorts of stuff. Some of it is traditional, conventional, and some of it is, you know, better for you, better for the planet. And the hope is, obviously, that Makina can encourage more people to buy better. And then we help these brands save on their marketing dollars, become more efficient and effective with their marketing dollars, and then drive those costs down, right, for the brand. And then hopefully they can pass some of the savings or profits, whatever it may be, you know, if we're creating more velocity for them onto the consumer. So again, it becomes this bigger kind of, you know, view that we've taken as Makina. It's not just the individual shopper, the individual brand. It's for the entire industry. It's, yeah, that's as really a whole. cool.
1: I mean, it connects all the pieces together, right? And it's good to know I'm also not alone in liking to go to the store because I keep talking Mm to tons of people who have been doing their shopping online and are ordering their food to be delivered or whatever. And I guess I'm just old school I I really like walking through the store and just seeing what's new and, you know, finding things that I wouldn't have thought of if I was just hyper focused on, you know, searching for the things on my list on a website you know, I get to discover stuff. I get to find new brands. I get to touch and feel interesting packaging. I get to compare options and do all sorts of food geek stuff within the store. So I just love wandering around and seeing what's new and interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I just keep going to the store. And uh, it's nice to hear that general consumers are still doing that because we keep hearing in the industry and media um, that people are going more and more online. And, uh, you know, for a period of time during COVID, of course, that was probably true. But because people were avoiding going in the stores and just doing curbside pickup or something. But based on what you're saying, if you're a brand trying to grow right now, you can't just focus online. You need to think about retail and you need to take care of those customers and your retail partners in store as well.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's really interesting because my <laughs> I'm kind of I my husband and I, my current husband, we've been together for twenty years and it's really interesting. I used to do all the grocery shopping for both of us. I've always bought organic or pretty much like super clean kind of product. And during COVID, I continued to go to the grocery store. I wore a mask, disinfected, did the whole nine yards. I've been vaxxed and boosted and all that. And he decided that he would not go to the grocery store anymore. So he started ordering from Amazon Fresh. So it is now a new habit for him that he orders from Amazon Fresh. I don't. (laughs) I noticed that I go into the stores, I go to natural grocers, I go to Sprouts. Sometimes I'll go to Whole Foods, I'll go to King Supers because we have a great, you know, we, I live in Boulder. So we have like lots of our target store carries a lot of natural products. So I go to the various stores, pick my things that I like to pick. Right. But he's still go ahead. He's still ordering from Amazon. So, but I noticed the really
1: does he just order a couple things regularly from Amazon Fresh or does he do all of his shopping there now?
0: The same things over and over. He is not, I know, if you categorize that kind of a shopper, you know, it's not me. <laughs> He's not me. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, yeah. you know, to a certain extent, going to the grocery store is like not a party. <laughs> but it's it's a great experience I think. I love looking at the products on the shelf just like you. Like I'm not a like a marketing whiz or brander or a designer, but I love looking at the new packaging. I love the different innovation that brands come up with. Like and when they had sampling, I mean there's still a little bit of sampling just not as much these days. You know, I love trying something new. You know, that's why I love going to Expo East and Expo West. And I'm looking forward, yeah, going to the plant-based show in uh, New York yeah. and Expo East coming up. and Absolutely. There's so much cool innovation. And innovation even coming from brands that are really established,
1: yeah. too. Well, well right? I think that's one thing that emerging brands have been kind of teaching the bigger brands is that innovation can happen anywhere. Like I think historically bigger brands played the wait and see game a bit more than emerging brands, you know, like, like they were, you know, saying, okay, well, that's an interesting thing, but uh, I'm going to wait and see what happens in that category. Like, you know, vegan beef, jerky or whatever, before doing anything. And then maybe years later when the market's proved out, they'll do something in that space. But more often these days, I think that Bigger brands are starting to jump in earlier on some of these trends instead of waiting um, until the emerging brands prove out that there's a market or you know buying them or making their own copycat. They're just more willing to be daring and jumping in earlier, which is kind of cool. So a bit ago, you mentioned that Makina is a B Corp and you're also one percent for the planet. So two things that my agency, Modern Species, and therefore Evolve CPG are as well. So we're right there with you, go team. But I'm curious. Why did you decide to become a B Corp and 1% for the Planet member? And have you noticed any notable benefits of being part of these programs?
0: Oh, my gosh. So I think I mentioned I sat on a steering committee for business for social responsibility really early days when I founded Natural Interactions. So it was always my vision to create a company from the very beginning that it was going to be a B-certified corporation. I think it's really important to have transparency with all your different constituents. You know, you know this, right? Your customers, your suppliers, your investors, the public at large, your internal folks. And so it gives us this, you know, we're not perfect. But this is something to work towards and continually improve upon. Something that we talked about a little bit earlier is like this continually learning and growing. I love being part of the community. Just recently, I was asked to talk to um, our representative and our U.S. senator here in Colorado, be part of that small group of companies talking about like, You know, what we want to see happen, (laughs) you know, with respect to climate, changing the climate situation that we're in. Thank heavens, you know, we're making good progress toward it. But being part of that whole movement has meant a ton to us. It's just a lot of like minded. I don't even know if I want to say, I would say maybe mindful, not like minded. I don't like saying like minded. I like everybody to have diverse views. That's how you can com- become better. But mindful companies is probably a better way to say it. We love giving back to 1% for yeah. the planet. We're part of Climate Collaborative. We're parting, you know, we yeah, cool. we give every month to Feeding America, No Kid Hungry, Equal Justice Initiative. We have a bunch of nonprofits that we're supporting because we care. Right. And that's just part of who Makina is. And You know, quite frankly, the word Makina means happiness in Swahili, abundance in Hawaiian. And so we think that you can be you can still be profitable as a company. You can still make money. We're not a not for profit. We're a for profit company. But, you know, you can make a difference with the money that you do make. And so that's what we do. We do have investors, <laughs> you know, we're a tech startup. And so, you know, we're raising another round right now, but you know, our investors definitely want to see a return, no question, but they're still very open to us having this component of our company, which to me as the founder means yeah. the world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I hear you there. I mean, signing up for B Corp or One Percent for the Planet is just something that people like you and I do because it's integral to who we are as as more impact driven entrepreneurs and it also makes sense for our companies or our brands because of of course they'd we or they'd put, you know, our money where our mouth is or walk the talk, right? But I'm also curious, ha, has it helped you with like attracting investors or, you know, is it transparent to your consumers? Like do you weave any of your one percent for the planet giving into your storytelling or anything? And Are people engaging with that content, or you know, maybe you just kind of like set it and forget it, and you you signed up for these things, but you don't really talk about it. It's just part of who you are, but not part of your storytelling.
0: Boy, that's a really, really good question, and not just buttering you up for anything. (laughs) So, (laughs) wow, I don't know really, truly if it's helped us. I know that the brands. That we work with, our customers are very happy to see that. But I don't know if the consumer really understands what that means yet. And I think that once we grow a little bit more and we close on this investment, I think we need to do more storytelling around that. I think we need to talk about what it is. Because I think one of the things that B Lab They've done a lot of things super well. One of the things that they haven't really done that much of is probably a better way to say it, is really educate the public about what being B certified means. We all know what it means to be certified organic. We all know what it means to be, you know, part of the non GMO verified project, but the consumer doesn't know really what being a certified B Corp means. And so, yeah, we need to do a better job, like, as a community. 1% for the planet is a little different. I think that they've done a pretty darn good job. I mean, you tell me what you think about educating the consumer about, you know, what that means, that these businesses are giving 1% back, you know, for various initiatives around climate control and things like that. But They've done a pretty good job. I do probably need to weave my story a little bit more. We have an opportunity. I've actually already been asked to be on a TV show next month. Oh, really? Yeah, I may weave that that discussion into my discussion with the investors because you know, even on Shark Tank, like we all know founders that have pitched to, you know, Kevin O'Leary and, you know, Mark Cuban and even though I think it's like almost like a base point, I don't think it's. I don't. To me, it is a base point. I don't know about to you, but it's a base point for me. And then we have to only do better on top of that. And I don't hear it talked a lot
1: about. Yeah, I'm just picturing Shark the sharks laughing at you when you tell them to be you know? because they're probably just like, "Well, I don't care. Just tell me what your profits are." But I do know more and more investors are starting to focus on yeah, companies are that are factors? addressing their ESGs yeah. or, you know, various things like that. But to your point, I don't know if B Corp has reached any level of status where investors are like only investing in B Corps or anything like that. They might be dedicated to, you know, socially responsible companies or regenerative agriculture or whatever, but because I do know that there are more venture firms focused on various issues like that or focused on just long-term impact instead of only short-term profits, et cetera. So, you know, maybe at some point, you know, people like Shark Tank, the sharks on the Shark Tank will will start to become more aware of things like B Corp or, or other kind of certifications like that. So, I don't think because B Corp has gotten a lot of consumer awareness, um, but I do think that they've done a better job with industry awareness, by which I mean, People who work in these spaces, I think, generally know about B Corp. On the flip side, 1% for the planet. I think I have read some studies that their mark is kind of rising up the ranks in the chain of recognizable certifications, either to put on the front of your package or in the window of your retail shop because consumers are recognizing it more and understanding more what it means. So, I think they've just generally pushed a little bit harder um, for that consumer awareness and... (laughs) You know, it's probably just because it was born out of Patagonia and they know how to talk to consumers, whereas B Corp comes from more of a pure, you know, nonprofit or B2B business to business kind of space and just aren't as consumer savvy. Okay, so switching up a little bit. So I know you've got a ton of insights, right? You're a a three-time founder, you know about the natural products industry, you know about consumers, about brands, about retail. So you're probably the perfect person to ask this question too. What do you feel like the future of retail is, whether online or brick and mortar, and how does that play out for Better for the World brands?
0: Wow. So brick and mortar is not going away, <laughs> I don't think, at least not according to the shoppers that are using Makina at this point. I think there's going to be continue to be innovation in this space. I mean, I don't think that the grocery store now is going to be the grocery store of the future which is okay. It's great. You know, there's going to be more AI. Maybe you're going to be able to be in a virtual reality and pull things off the shelf and you're not really there, but you'll be able to pull real things in. Right. So you'll still have like a physical store environment. I think people will continue to shop online as like a supplement to, you know, what they're doing physically as demonstrated by, you know, the, Answers that we got back to our shopper survey for our industry, it's only going to continue to grow. As you know, last year, $300 billion in the U.S. alone, um, you know, we were able to track at the cash register or point of sale systems, you know, um, that we're really, you know, it's not everything even in the industry. It's you know the stuff that we already track, but there's a lot more out there that is not necessarily maybe it's an emerging company that's not tracked yet, maybe they're only at farmers' markets, but that continues to grow at about you know anywhere right now, about ten percent a year, along with unfortunately grocery prices, <laughs> but it's not going away anytime soon, and I think again, because of what has happened to our health and the health of the planet, it's only going to continue to grow. So I think this is a great place for us to be in. I think that, you know, the traditional retail stores like, you know, like Walmart and Target and, you know, HEB and Publix, I mean, a lot of them have Almost everything that you can buy in a whole food store in their stores now. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's a little bit Mm -hmm. more limited to kind of what you see typically on the shelf. But as more and more people are exposed to, you know, these delicious, Food and beverages and products that feel good on your skin or household goods that are not, you know, clogging up our sewer systems and, you know, innovative clothing companies that are taking recycled plastic bottles from the ocean and making clothing out of fabrics out of, you're going to continue to see more and more of it. I mean, I am a glass half full person versus a glass half empty person. So I've always wanted to make a difference in the world again since I've been second grade. Again, I'm not sure where that came up <laughs> from. But you know, I think it's gonna just continue to grow. So I see a great future for, you know, brands in our space, for the industry in general. And we just need to keep at it and improving and innovating and doing better.
1: I love that you brought up the Glass half full. And now my mind's like spinning on that philosophy too. Because in my mind, like whether it's half full or half empty, it's half possibilities and half resources, right? I mean, you may never have a full glass of resources at any given time, but that still means there's all the space for possibilities that could be filled with anything, you know? I mean, I like to call myself an optimistic realist or a realistic optimist or whatever, but the idea is that I understand that the world is broken. It is for sure in many ways but i also believe that we can improve things so we may as well give it a shot so even at times when it feels hopeless or daunting you know in my opinion it's still worth trying because anything is possible you know it is possible to make change so anyway to your point the industry is growing better for the world brands are getting into mainstream retail more and more corporations are carrying more investors are carrying more so hopefully we're it you know turning a corner to more responsible consumption and this isn't just a blip on the path or something like that. But as I've said many times on this show, I believe that if we can fix the product industry, we can change the world because the product industry is connected to so many other industries, you know? So, To kind of wrap up, I appreciate that you're such a tech savvy person because I'm very much not. (laughs) I appreciate that you're out there creating apps like Makina and your kiosks and other tools to help the natural products industry and uh, conscious consumers. So I appreciate you for doing what you do and for taking a little time out of your schedule to come and chat with us on the show.
0: Well, you're welcome. And really, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great talking with you.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put links to all your platforms and your LinkedIn and such in the show notes, but is there anywhere specific you want people to go first? Maybe just download the app?
0: Yeah, we'd love it for you to download the app. You can reach out to me, you know, I'm easy to be, you can send something to info at makina.com, support at com, or you can just email me directly. It's just my name, Karen dot frame at makina.com easy 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 to reach me and you know we're always looking for feedback we're looking for i mean we got a lot of feedback from our shoppers from that shopper survey that i just told you about but always looking to grow and improve and yeah please download the app and if you are a brand reach out to us as well we'd love for you to be on the platform start collecting data specifically about your brand and and your competition We're going to be able to figure out, help you figure out eventually as part of our product roadmap, how to be even more efficient with your trade spend as well. So kind of fun stuff that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else, but yeah, just super easy to get in touch with.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, as, you know, inflation has gone through the roof and supply chain, you know, crunches uh the whole industry and you know you need to get a little bit smarter with uh, your resources and understand where consumers are going. Now's the perfect time to download bikina. So yeah, I appreciate that. You know, thanks for coming out again and uh sharing some of your expertise and your time. And I'm sure I'll see you out at like Expo West, Expo East or you know, one of the other million shows coming up.
0: Yeah, plant based, wherever, everywhere. Nosh, I mean there's uh, so many places. And we're looking forward to having you on our game show.
1: Yeah, yeah. We should have a little quick plug to tell people where they can find that show.
0: Yeah, so so we've just launched a game show called What's in Your Cart, and a brand sponsors each episode. Our writer comes from Hollywood. He used to write for Joan Rivers and South Park and Fashion Place, so he's witty and sharp. And so we combine a little bit of definitely facts about a brand each episode, along with a little bit of trivia the questions are a little wacky. Sometimes it's like HQ trivia, and we're going to be having a play along with consumers outside and, you know, outside of the actual game show. So that's going to be kind of fun too. But it's a little bit again about like HQ trivia meets, wait, wait, don't tell me meets car talk. (laughs) Um, And it's played by two influencers every single time. We've gotten a ton of great feedback and, you know, would love for you to play along with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm I'm super excited. I was watching the first episode and it's just such a cool kind of unique format for kind of sharing information about this industry or raising awareness about a brand or like teaching consumers. I don't know. It's just you know, a fun yeah. format and a great idea. So I'm excited about that. So thanks again. And we'll definitely put some uh, yeah, links to that in the show notes. So it was great having a conversation with you and I'm sure we'll talk more soon. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Karin and Makina, go to Makina.com. That's M-A-K-E-E-N-A.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com.